Future Friday. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Future Friday here on CHMA 106.9 FM here in Sackville, New Brunswick. And yeah, I'm here again with John and uh, we'll be talking about the future of welfare. So yeah, welfare, again, quite a broad subject to talk about, but I think one that is very interesting and interesting to kind of look into the future of well. So um, like how our welfare states or how it will operate will be very interesting to kind of look into. So starting off, like what is welfare? How would you kind of conceptualize it would you say i know it's a very difficult question to start off with but you know what is welfare i'd probably broadly describe it as government policies aimed at creating a more equitable playing field to allowing people equitable or universal access to certain amenities necessary for life or for you know a decent human existence yeah. So, like, I don't know, income assistance, pensions, uh, access to health care, education, you know, those kinds of policies, the the things you think of when you think welfare. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's pretty much through kind of the state kind of helping out the most vulnerable population, pretty much. Well, so it's like, the state intervening to yeah. fix what the problems that markets either can't or create. Mm, that's true, yeah. And it's kind of, yeah, it's helping kind of the elderly it's help yeah it's kind of helping a lot of those individuals like the lower like the low and working class for example could be actually it's, yeah lower like working class as well part of the welfare and um definitely and it's kind of it seems to me from what i was kind of reading it seems like new technologies as well are becoming quite apparent in this uh do you want to kind of explain like how this has happened or well it's not so much of the technologies it's i mean the technology can you can help in the administration of it yeah. sure but the big things is largely changes to how the economy is going to work, how we conceive of work, and our conceptions of desserts, like what people deserve, what we owe to them, what, mm. they, what, we, what they owe us. Those are all going to change in the economy, and that's going to change how we have to conceive of welfare. Like, for example... Um, Automation isn't going to be, it isn't going to, when automation occurs, it's not like, you know, you have an, you have an executive, an executive assistant position and the AI is going to take all the job, take all the jobs and do the exact job description, all the tasks Mm. described in the job description. That's not how that works. A job is really just a series of composite component tasks that you do in a series. Um, that's generally pretty hard to do to have an AI do all those tasks in the correct order, but you can break down these tasks into their uh, job into its component tasks. And then you can see which ones can be automated and which ones do need actual humans to do. The thing is you don't take and rebundle the human jobs. You just put them, have that one individual task and you can put it on to an online labor platform like Fiverr. Mm. And then have people, you know, have freelancers bid on it, and then put take all the work done by freelancers and put it together, and you have uh, completed ta- uh, completed work. Mm. And that's what's going to change our our relationships with uh, welfare, because a lot of half of it, partly, is also is, you know, you have a job and you pay taxes, and your employer contributes to it as well. You know, f- when you work your employer also can you both you and your employer contribute to the canada pension plan your employer you might have um certain kinds of insurance through your health through your um employer if you don't have those kinds of relationships if you're not having 
if you don't have an actual formal employer, if you're just a freelancer and you're just doing, you know, random tasks, then our current model of welfare isn't going to work. Mm, definitely. I think it's it's interesting because I've been reading a lot about automation and there's been there's been a lot of like news headlines saying that automation will replace certain low skill jobs and things like that. And it's like from but then from your point, it's like it maybe it's a little bit not as true as it seems the fact that it's actually the tasks the tasks within the, the jobs themselves that are actually going to be replaced rather than the whole entire um job itself because that was because that's what i was kind of looking into is like examining i think there was some sort of stat that i think in the united states 702 occupations was going to be and then half of that was going to be mechanized or replaced by automation but then it wasn't going it was just that was at the service it wasn't actually going into like okay what actual um tasks were going to get automated whereas from what you're saying it's it's actually more about the tasks rather than jobs and i feel like i don't know why the media's yeah well, I don't know, it's weird on the one hand it's well on the one hand the jobs are going to be destroyed yeah you no, do take true. that that job title is you know the job position is going to exist anymore mm. um you're going to create new ones it's just that these new jobs are either going to be in different fields mm. they're going to generally require uh higher and different skills mm-hmm and so another, and it might just be possible that there, you know, might not be um, certain kinds of work or there might not be the imperative to work. That's the other thing that we have to challenge is there our notion that in order to be deserving of anything from society, you have to work and contribute. Mm. The idea that you have to, you know, you have to labor for yourself. You have to provide for your own existence. But if you know we're entering a world where that's increasingly not possible, or unrealistic, or inefficient, you know it's just easier just to have you know it all mechanized and you know have automated farming or whatever and just mm. not have people do these things. You don't. It's not required for them to do so. Then we maybe we need to change that idea. And maybe you know maybe it's not a bad idea that people don't work. Yeah. That would be interesting society to have if everything's just kind of controlled. That's kind of like, I was about to say, it's kind of like a weak, sig- a weak signal kind of thing. Well, I don't know. Just the fact that, you know, we're, we're kind of discussing like how, yeah, how if work will be changed. If 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 we do, if we even have to work, if we, if even if we have, you know, we might have like more leisure time and things like that. I think that as a society would be interesting to see um, because I, I'm looking into kind of things like, I think there was, I think it, it might have been Amazon I think there's some sort of shop which has no workers in and you can just tap with your phone or something like that. I, I don't know what the shop is. Maybe you know a bit there more There is one. I know Amazon was trying something where you yeah. just, you know, you walk in, you grab stuff. You don't, there's no um, cashiers, no checkouts. You just walk out. Oh yeah, exactly. No, I think, that's, I think that is super interesting to kind of see. I think it's, you know, you look into like ro- robotics as well. Because I was looking into the, the idea of like digital economy so um policy horizons was had this kind of long pretty long piece actually about how our economy is going to become more digital which i actually agree with just looking into things like the finances for example like fintech you look into um you know like facial recognition that's being increasingly used ai is being used increasingly and robotics as well and yeah just speaking about robotics yeah like robotics is being used and even something which i found which was super cool actually something called like a telepresence so it's something where you it's like the idea of like dialing in and this can allow where people can interact more seemingly more seemingly um 
where it's like from what I saw the picture of it was some sort of like cube was coming out of coming out of it. I know it was super weird. It was something like like I, Star Wars. I'm or pretty something. yeah that was. I know. Um, <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that image in particular might have just been you know a stock image. Yeah, um, maybe the idea with telepresence is <laughs> yeah. you know, well it's like you can either be present, you can either have work in a VR environment, you can yeah. have people work from across the world working in a VR space, or you can have something um, where like you can have uh, like a robot of sorts. Mm. Like you you say you have like a robot surgeon yeah, and then you can have a surgeon on the other side of the planet who basically connects to that, to that robot and then remotely conduct surgery. So through that, the, the doctor is able to conduct surgery to people mm. pretty much anywhere on the planet. Yeah. Uh, that would be very, very cool. I, I even looked into and saw a piece was talking about AI being used in sort of court service as well, which I'm not too sure about that, though. This is the thing. I'm not... I think, don't get me wrong, I think the technology will develop more and more so that we can use it in these situations like what you mentioned with the hospital, maybe in terms of like court cases and things like that. But then the AI, I don't know, it's like even with like facial recognition in terms of how it's when it has been used in terms of when it tried to recognize it couldn't recognize sort of ethnic minorities faces as well as white faces because of the algorithms well it's not the algorithms but like the data set was primarily like white faces and things like that right so in that case it's like does ai and if we are going to use ai maybe it has the same sort of issues i don't know do you think that might that maybe that's a cause of concern even though well there's always going yeah. to be issues with it it's just that well well what you're just well what does this court ai do mm. like what is it doing is it clerk like is it just a, is it like transcribing like doing what the clerk would do and just transcribing what everyone's saying or is it analyzing I think people's it's, faces like yeah that's where honest. the question comes in yeah true i think i think with that because i was trying to read it i didn't read it completely well i think it's the fact that yeah it would help to use for like court cases for example i think for transcribing i think would be very useful to have because i don't know how a person's able to keep up with the court case and write super quickly whereas i think a computer would make it so much easier or even just to record it and it have and i know there's i know there's some sort of technology which i use where you can speak into it and then the writing comes up dictation. I think, yeah dictation there you go sorry um yeah that i think is would be very very useful to have I think in those kind of court cases so i think yes technology is definitely going to be efficient and will definitely improve our lives it's just how much do we trust a robot or a machine to do a certain task which is very like pretty important like a court case like um you know security for example like we have like drive there's the idea of like driverless cars like even that's very like it sounds cool but it's like how how trustworthy do we trust it? How how far do we go and be like how far do we go towards using technology in all of our lives? Or do we have to kind of be a slightly cause of concern? That's the thing. I think it's a double edged sword because I think yes, it'll increase efficiency, but I think do we still need to ask questions about these these technologies still? I think. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. Well, of course. Yeah, well no, that's the thing, because I find you know, I think I just feel like as a society, we are becoming a little bit too excited with these technologies. That's the thing. And when we use them, then these issues come back. And we're like, oh, I'm, sh- I'm surprised that these issues come about. But it's like, well, hold on. Surely these people who are there need to test it and be like, well, hold on. We need to be slowed down with this and then do it. 
that's the thing that's what my concern is no absolutely that's definitely yeah. it um that's one issue is that well that's the whole culture of silicon valley is move fast and break things yeah. <laughs> break you do things yeah. now fix things later mm. it doesn't matter whether or not your social media platform is causing a loneliness crisis and you know really harming the mental health and social relationships of young people across the planet but it's okay because you know gotta get them clicks <laughs> god yeah and yeah so that's I've, the mm. i think the big thing about well the thing about technology is it all depends on how it's used and how it's organized mm. and the same and i think that's the crux of how welfare is going to work in the future is that technology technology is going to happen automation is going to happen it's that's it's 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 happening it's going to happen we can't stop it yeah the thing is do we want a future that looks more like wally or do we want a future that looks like star trek okay what's the difference between those two then do you think well have you seen star trek and have you seen wally i've seen wally a little bit but not fully and Star Trek, not really, I'll be honest. But like you can describe it. Right, to me. So in Wally, you have basically these people. Um, they've been on this this um, spaceship for generations. Yeah. These people are basically like they've lost so much bone mass. They're basically just globs. They're entirely dependent on technology for everything they do. They mm. can't even walk. Um, they don't even like see each other face to face, but rather they just float in the hovering chairs and just yeah. like video chat with each other all the time. Mm. Everything's done for them. They don't have any real agency. Like there's that. Yeah. And then there's Star Trek. Star Trek is like a post scarcity society. There is no, there's no racial, gender, ethnic, any kinds of discrimination. Everyone, you know, um, you have replicators. You can literally take matter and transform it into any other kind of matter. You know, that's literally a post-scarcity society. Mm. And it's organized in such a way as these people are going out to explore space for for the pursuit of knowledge. These are people, mm. you know, they, they've, they're they in a post-scarcity society. The technology is, they're using technology in a way to enable them to experience human life to the fullest and to live out their passions and pursue you know human endeavors yeah i actually prefer the star trek exactly and that's the point is like what do we want is do we want to do we want technology to control us and dominate Mm. us or do you want technology to enable and liberate us yeah and that's the thing is that is a question it's a really big important question is how are we going to organize our societies going forward Mm. because if you say i don't know Let's say we have um, an autonomous driving system that's owned by Uber, mm. and Uber has a contract with the city. I don't know. Let's say for whatever reason um, you don't like using Uber, you've been banned from the platform. Well, can you use Uber's? Can you use your city's public transit system? Of course. Can you participate in these? Can you participate in these systems, or just or the fact that? Are we going to continue with this uh, an absurd capitalist model where someone owns the technology and everyone else has to pay them for it, even though mm. we've gotten to the point where it's very, very clear that that technology could, let's say, let's say replicator technology, let's say that was privately owned mm. and wasn't publicly available for everyone, and yeah. you had to pay for someone to replic to literally replicate food for you. Yeah, like that's what I mean. And like, if we don't have system like our welfare states have been gutted for like the past for the past few decades we wouldn't just have to 
you know, restore funding. Like we'd have to restore funding just to get up to like, I don't know, the 1970 level, let alone get back up and offer more services. And that's what we need is jobs are going to disappear. We're going to have people that don't know who are going to have skill sets that aren't useful in the new economy mm-hmm. that need to find something to do. And the other thing, and the problem is that we have a culture that really emphasizes identity based on what you do. A lot of men in particular derive their sense of self and, and worth from what they do and how they contribute to society. Yeah. If you take that away, then they're just... What they do. What yeah. do they do? Who are they? They're, mm. it's, not just, it's not just an economic crisis for them. It's an identity crisis. Yeah. It's now personal. They don't know. They're lost. And that can be very easily manipulated. So there's a whole other political, a whole political issue with that. Damn. And then, yeah, do we? How do we reskill and reeducate these people? How do we move? Like we're, it's very clear we're moving into a world with very different conditions. We're moving into a 21st century world, but we still have like 19th and 20th century policies and structures. Yeah. And those aren't. And if we want to have that Star Trek future, we need to let those old structures behind. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of, yeah, especially the fact that, um, you know, let, let, let's talk about like the welfare state in terms of like health service. Like our, our society is going a lot more aging as well. Um, and the fact that there's like, I think there's a, gro- I don't know the exact statistics, but I think there's a growing aging society. Like people are going, growing older. I think it could, I don't know what, actually, what could it be down to? Because, you know, the fact we are getting older, maybe it's because of life lifestyle choices. Like if you compare our lifestyle lifestyle choices now to I don't know twenty thirty years ago, I think it's a lot different. You know, because we, for example, I think we we smoke less. I think we drink a lot less as well. Um, and I think maybe smoke less, we drink less, we eat better, eat we better, exercise we more, exercise better, yeah. we have generally better access to better Medis- quality goods and medicines. Like there's Medi- all sorts of things. Yeah, like medicine's better. Like yeah, you can't really like put it down to one exact factor. But um, and that's the thing. I think going on your point of saying like old structures and things like that. I think with the welfare state, I think it's got to adapt. But I don't know how we do it. I think do you say to states, right, you need to invest more money? Um, because I know I've, I've read somewhere this is kind of a little bit of an old article. But it says, like, what's the future of the welfare state, which was by Benedict O'Donnell, I think it is. I don't think that's how his name. So it's, we were talking about, like, the fair tax, um, which is like, an, this is from the horizons in the European, the policy horizons in the European Union. Um, and yeah, it was just saying, like, the fact that the welfare state is coming under pressure hugely, especially with, you know, um, this was a quote by someone called Professor Ellen Emmerigut uh, from a university in Germany. Um, so a university in Germany, which I can't completely pronounce, it's like Humboldt D, I think. Um, suggesting that all, uh, austerity, migration, and mobility are just some of the realities that welfare states will have to face in the 21st century. Um, and it just shows you, I think, yeah, going back to your point, it's like the welfare state does need to adapt, especially like health. Um, and the fact that, you know, we've seen like globalization as well, taking a massive, you know, like globalization right now is, even though it's been challenged right now at this present, eh, I don't know. Okay, I know, I know you like, eh, but like, you know, like globalization, you know have loads of migration of people you know welfare states are clearly going to get hit so i think yeah it's just how do we it's the thing is the bigger question is like how do we change our welfare state how do we adapt to this aging to this new aging society how do we adapt to a you know so many like migration of individuals like how do we do it you know that's the bigger question and i don't know how we do it do we do we allow states to invest more do we create these new technologies to adapt to so many people you know bigger question 
So I don't know. I don't know how we kind of do that. Well, one of the a common policy option that people throw around is uh, basic income. Oh yes, I've heard of that idea. Do you want to explain? I, I don't know the, the, the specifics, but yeah. So a universal basic income is what it's exactly. It's a it's a basic income. It's, it's supposed to provide for your basic needs. That's given out universally. Yes. Um, that's the ideal scenario. Is you get a good income that's given to you unconditionally. Um, there was a trial in Ontario mm. uh, not too long ago until the Ford government uh, cut it, shut it down. It was um, not so much a – it was kind of in that vein. It was more like a um, – uh, what was it? How it worked was essentially it was um, for every – you don't – so if you haven't – you basically you can get up to about eighteen thousand dollars a year from the province, mm. and then I think it was about for every for every dollar you earn of your own money, um, you get I believe sixty cents less in um, basic income. Okay. So that's because how that's stru- that's structured differently. That's not a ba- quite a basic income, but it is structured differently than how we currently do a lot of social assistance. Uh, for example, in New Brunswick, social, how social assistance is structured is uh, not good. Oh, really? Okay. So it's essentially, it's the province will give you $850 a month. If you work and earn less than that, the government will give you the difference. So you will always end up with $850 a month. The thing is, if you never actually work enough hours that you will go over that amount, and you will always just, you know, you always work, I don't know, say you work 10 hours a week, and you only end up making four hundred dollars a month. You're mm. always getting topped up to eight fifty. There's yeah. no there's, there's, there's no, no incentive. There's no incentive for you to work. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're always making less than eight fifty, why go work at all? Oh yeah, true. How this works is yeah. for every dollar you earn, you earn a little bit less, but you still have that floor, and you're still net earning. Okay, so as you earn uh, more, you get less and less, but it still provides a nice floor. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so it's basically... Okay, I'm just trying to get my head around because I'm not the... like. That's kind of quite a confusing idea for me. But So it's basically... Yeah, you just earn and earn, but then you still got that kind of foundation. Even Yeah, because mm-hmm. that, in that way... If co- once you get yeah. up to a certain threshold or you're not mm-hmm. making enough money at all, that you're, you're making enough money, then you't get any of that income. That's yeah. Or you end up I don't know, like getting like two dollars. Mm. Like it's it scales down as you earn more. So you still have that financial incentive to yeah. work more and do and earn and earn more. Mm. There is one problem with basic income, is that we is that it can't work in a primarily rent driven economy. So you said rent driven. Okay. Oh, so because the fact that we rent so much now. Wait, so what do you mean by that? So you rent in terms of like houses or sure or rent or just a, just a, an economy that's based on taking rents from people from one way or another, taking money from someone else to for, for the access to some kind of good or service. You know, like say for housing, because mm. um, rent isn't re- rent isn't really based on anything real. It's just kind of what's available. So. If you say you have everyone gets, I don't know, $500 for housing. Yeah. And uh, okay, well, every, all the landlords, okay, well, rent went up $500. Mm-hmm. Now you're in this, you're, you're sure the numbers are bigger, but you're still in the same economic position you were before. Your money doesn't actually go any further. You have more of it, but it goes to say that it doesn't go any further. 
Oh. So what you need is you can't. So a basic income can't work when certain goods and services are provided via market mechanisms. So maybe what you want to move towards is uh, maybe more something more like universal basic services, mm. where this it's not the you don't just get the funds to provide those to have access to those services. Rather, um, you, there's I don't know some kind of method of direct provision of those services that you can just access. Yeah, that's fair enough. But then okay, that's that sounds it does sound very interesting. The fact that yes, we have those ideas coming about. And they are. I think I've I've heard these ideas argue a lot by, for example, like Democrats. For example, they're old. Yeah, like Milton Friedman's the one who advocated for basic income and a negative income tax really? in the seventies. Yeah. Mm. That's fair enough. But yeah, like that's the thing. I feel like most of the more like left leaning, well, left leaning, but you know, you know what I mean. Like individuals that are wanting more of a state intervention approach. The issue is, would people want that though? That's the thing. Well. I don't. If people don't want it now, they will want it in the future. Do you think? I don't think there's a method. I don't think there's a way we can. I think if we continue with our our, our methods of organization now, mm. we're not going to have an equitable distribution of services. It's going to be highly unequal. It's going to be highly polarized. The problems we see now are just going to get worse. Yeah. It's going to lead to greater social discontents. Um, it's it's i don't think it's gonna work i think people if people don't see the faults now they will see the faults in the future Mm. i don't think it's a way i don't think we can privately organize and have i don't think i think they're mutually exclusive the star trek future and the private future i think in fact actually in the wally example that's all or it's all run by one conglomerate mega corporation so yeah and in star trek it's pretty uh I don't think there's private enterprise. <laughs> no, I don't think so, actually. No, because Except think... for the USS Enterprise. Yeah, no, it's in... I think, yeah, because I liked, yeah, because I like your kind of idea of the two futures. I think that was good to actually have in my head because I, I, I do, I have watched like a Wally scene and, and those people there and stuff. I think it's clever. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I agree that I think in a private, I think, you know, private markets do have some benefits but the all but the worst worst consequences sometimes it does create a big disparity i agree with that it's just will people realize that that's the that's my question because i don't think people are going to realize that if i'm being honest i think people because especially the united states and i know i'm criticizing the united states a lot but the united states is so built on capitalism private enterprises you know private healthcare. you know i think they are think are they're going to have to make a huge change. I don't know if they are going to. That's my issue with it. Well, of course. it's. I don't think they are the going prob- to. The change will come anyway. It's just a matter of like, okay, do you want to be proactive now? Do you want to maybe maintain the power you have and make, make some concessions? Because mm. if you don't, the longer and longer you put off change, the more radical and violent the change will, inev- when it comes, will be. Mm. You know, you can either make it you know you can either give people what they want or eventually they will come to take what they want with guillotines Oof. that's a oof. damn <laughs> very yeah no it's it that is interesting yeah i don't know i just feel like i don't know yeah i think it's it's when it's when it's gonna happen that's that's the thing is i, I agree with you I, I want i think the basic income sounds like a really good idea it's just how we're going to do it in practice it's like um we were talking about this well like yesterday about like the info like 
how how do I link this? Formal and informal, informal rules. Informal rules, you know? It's like, how do we... It's like sometimes, yes, in theory, these rules sound like they're going to go ahead. But then in reality, complete different utter rules happen, you know? So it's like, it's how do we do it? That's the thing. I think, you know, with, with policy, with welfare, I think... I do well, think it's also like what we said yesterday is you never get the rules right the first time. Yeah. But it's only but then you have to then adapt it. And the thing is I don't feel like state governments adapt. And right now I at this moment in time I actually don't particularly like state governments right now. If I'm being honest with you, I feel like they're so unadaptable. They're very I think I've looked at and I know I don't want I don't want to like make this conversation about like coronavirus because ugh, I'm getting sick and tired about talking about it, but I find the coronavirus just shows you know, humanity being very just irrational. Um, it shows that, don't get me wrong, I think what state governments are trying to do, like isolate people and stuff like that. I know this is not going to relate to welfare state, but like, you well, know what it I mean? does. Or well, do you think it does? Yeah. Well, of course, because we've been gutting welfare states and the capacity for health to, you know, conduct good health policy. Yeah. They've been gutted and, you know, they've been getting less and less money. They're not able to exercise those abilities now as well as they could. Mm. If you have sufficiently funded uh, good public health initiatives that are based on prevention rather than constant reaction mm. and you you know make proactive policy then yes you could better you can better um, handle a huge influx of patients when you do have a health crisis mm. but you know taking a, a healthcare system that's constantly being defunded and is always being stretched further and thinner and thinner and then you can throw a crisis on top of course it's going yeah, to like not it's gonna work be. it's going to fall awesome. apart mm. that's the well, uh, that's the thing with welfare states is they've been they're constantly getting gutted and made to not function properly and then that ends up being made to an argument to okay this welfare doesn't work so we can't let's not do it well it's not that welfare it doesn't work inherently, yeah. but poorly structured and poorly funded welfare, mm -hmm. of course, will never work. If a, if a policy set is structured to not, if it's structured to not work, it won't work. Mm -hmm. Just like that, um, like the social assistance in New Brunswick, it's not incent, it's not structured to incentivize work, so it's not going to. And then you get well, people are like, oh, well, now people on welfare are lazy. Like, no, it's not no. that they're they're lazy and they don't want to work. Some maybe some of them are, maybe some of them don't actually don't, but mm. a lot of them I think want to, but it's. It's not structured in such a way to actually help them. Actually, yeah. It's just how, yeah, it's just back to the structure itself. It's back at its its core. And it's, yeah, just speaking about the welfare state, I like with the NHS as well. The NHS, I I look at it. I, I love the NHS and I think it's great that we have that. I think Canada, I know Canada has, it's not like a, like a well, I know you guys provide healthcare. I know you guys do. Um, but I was just to relate the link this to Canada. I was in Sackville Hospital actually this week, and the amount of time I know someone was waiting there was ridiculous. And I don't know. It just shows. It just shows the fact that you know why is there so much like long waiting times? Why? And then some people there's been there's all this argument around like you know public private healthcare, like what's better, what's what's worse, and stuff like that. It's just like you know I I want a service that has i don't know this is gonna sound super idealistic but i wish we have a service that can have like you know shortened waiting times but a really good service as well because i think one friend of mine went to sackville hospital they couldn't do anything about this i won't say what it was but they couldn't do anything they couldn't do something with her basically 
Then she then went to Moncton. They still couldn't do anything. And it's just like, and then now she's just probably, probably like kind of in pain a little bit right now. And it's just like, it questions my head. It just questions how we structure the welfare, how we structure, you know, health, how, like, how do we do it? I just think it's, I don't know, it just annoys me because it's, it's such a clear, obvious issue, a clear, obvious problem. And all the, on all this, like with coronavirus, with all these issues, it's so clear. There's a clear solution, but they clearly don't have an incentive to do it. And that annoys me so much. So sorry about the rant, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, wait times in Canada are, I think, the highest. Like, that's the prob- That's the big problem with Canada's health system is wait yeah, times. Is, um, but yeah. again, that's not an inherent fault of universal health care. Because mm. you can see uh, plenty of other countries with universal health care systems. Canada's universal health care system is also the least universal of the universal health care. Like, it's... <laughs> Wait, what? That makes no sense, really. Well, because, like, yeah. we don't... Like, dental's not included. Mental's oh, yeah. not included. Vision's not included. Prescriptions aren't included. <laughs> like, it's basically, like, a elective... Mm. Elective surgeries aren't included. Or, no, they are included. I think it's just, like... just it's, Yeah, UK You get on a wait well. list and you have to yeah. wait, like, six months for your uh, for elective surgeries. Mm. You, yeah, it's you... like, for, sorry. like, essential... Yeah necessary like life saving stuff we're pretty good at getting that and like getting yeah. that when you need it but like for elective stuff we're pretty bad at it uk i think is similar though like, we we don't have uh dental care i don't think no don't really have dental care either um same thing about like the waiting list as well we i know people i've heard absolutely ridiculous stories of people waiting on waiting lists for like six months for the nhs and they still haven't got their surgery for mm. example for something and then it's just like then, and then then people just go to like a private healthcare and they can do it in like what a week, and that's that. And that's the that's the thing because I feel like that's kind of yeah. Because this is the thing. I think I'm not going to say public healthcare. You blame public. You don't blame public healthcare because of the long times. It's the structure how it's structured, right? It's is that. But then we, when you look at the private healthcare, the reason why they do it so quickly is maybe maybe it's their structures better. I don't know. Well, maybe, they have different maybe. structures because it's sort of yeah. like, well, okay, well, the doctors can choose who they take. They don't yeah. require to take everyone. If you don't, if you can't pay, they don't have to take you. Yeah. Like that's the thing is like, they'll just like, they're structured in different ways, but it's like, well, what do we want? Do we want, I think part of it's also just, we keep thinking of this dichotomy of, you know, centralized bureaucratic states do providing services or like. A private market yeah with a private capitalist enterprise but i think there are other ways we of organization you know where there's i think there's more collective and more say grassroots methods of organization one that's maybe more responsive to a community like it doesn't like maybe mm. maybe not has to be like you know, you have one central national bureaucracy, but you can have yeah. multiple different, you know, each community has their own, their own system that's coordinated and you have, you know, a national coordination, something to coordinate these systems, but yeah. they don't have to be, you know, centrally and bureaucratically managed. You know, it's, it's not like we have to, I don't think it has to be a, like a dichotomy of like, you know, Soviet economic totalitarianism yeah. and like pure laissez-faire capitalism like it's not yeah. there's not just that dichotomy it's like we need to find the middle point between it i agree so i think because i know there's countries like you know everyone looks into the scandinavian countries and you know all the countries that have actually had a balance between the private and the public healthcare systems they're actually much better i think maybe canada maybe the uk 
maybe the US needs to find a way of like doing that, I think. I think it'll be a much better way of doing so. I think I know the UK has private healthcare systems, like private like yeah, things like that there. I know they do. It's just I think there needs to be a way of yeah, finding a way of just yeah, combining the two. Um I just wanna like because we could do we need to maybe do like weak signals in like let's say like five minutes or so. Where do you think welfare will be heading, do you think? I mean, we have obviously said that automation is going to become a much bigger thing, um, which I think is, I think it's most likely going to happen. But yeah, like overall, where do you think welfare will be heading? That's up to us. That's up to us? That's up to us. Nice. And obviously organizations as well, I think. Sorry? And it's also kind of up to the people at the top as well, if they're going to decide as well. Us, collective, the the 37 million people that make up Canada, the 7 billion people who live on the planet Earth. We all have to decide whether or not we want to actually support each other or whether we want to just continue with this last, who knows how many millennia. Yeah, yeah, of course. Absolutely. But um, yeah, don't worry about it. All right, it's fine. It happens. We can cut it. Um, but yeah, no, I know what you mean. I think it would definitely be us deciding on if we are going to. I think just looking into the world right now, I'm just... I know. I'm worried about the future right now, if I'm being honest. I'm worried about how we we look at... I don't want to go back to coronavirus, but I'm mm-hmm. going to have to. I just look at coronavirus and the way we're dealing with it, the way people are buying toilet rolls, by people buying hand sanitizers and completely outstocking these places, um, just shows the irrationality of human beings. And that's it's what... The rationality I'm, of markets. Yeah. But it just... It, yeah. I don't know. I just think it's... You know, I think I, I, I just have... A cause of concern just to look into how the way we are dealing with this crisis yeah crisis let's just say that i think it's like a big epidemic as well but like i think it's just a way we're dealing with it i think is questionable but yeah anyway we should go to our weak signal period um should i go first again and go just say it. that yep so i've read something somewhere which is really interesting actually um again from the uh, policy horizons i think they're really good for like weak signals for me especially for someone who doesn't know too much about them um so i've got something called dad fluences dad fluences yep um which are here there and everywhere and it's uh, masculinity and performance fatherhood which was by chris uh, chris hagerman. hagerman hagerman yes and basically, it's just talking about dad-related content becoming more viral on the internet. And it's actually interesting to kind of see. It's kind of changing the aspects of fatherhood and masculinity. Even though I'm kind of, I'm personally been seeing, even before this point, uh, masculinity kind of changing. Um, I think it's definitely going to have an impact in terms of, yeah, changing the way maybe men may take more parental leave, for example. And be more, you know, changing, you know, the traditional perception of, you know, the dad or the father having to go out to work more and more maybe will change to be more you know dads being at home looking after their children and i think it's i think it'll be good i think because i look in i think we just look into a society and it's still i think even though you know it's 2020 i think women are still choosing to be at home because men still have this perception that they need to be the ones going out to work whereas actually men can do can still be the father, can still be there for their child as well. And I think even men and women can just share between, um, you know, parental leave. Because I know in Finland they've got parental leave. I think I think it's parental leave um, for both men and women, you know. And that shows that's doing well. So maybe the West needs to kind of advocate it a bit more. So I don't know what your views are on this as well. Yeah, no, it's definitely um, a good instance of cultural change. Nice mm-hmm. to see that... Um 
changes to a, uh, a more positive notion of uh, masculinity and of, of fatherhood. <clears throat> Interesting thing about it, it's, it's um, particularly these, these dad fluencers, you know, influencers who are dads on Instagram who are, you know, showing off their their dadness and yeah. doing their dadly things. The thing, the interesting thing about that is, well, at that point it's, it's performative. Mm, you're what, doing it for, you're doing it for your, are you doing it for your child or are you doing it for your followers? Oh, that's a good question. No, that's a very interesting question to actually have because that's the thing. Cause I think I read from that article, they were saying like, does it really show that they're better dads and stuff as well? So exactly. that's a very good question. Like, yeah, just because it just because it has that appearance that they're a good dad, mm. are they actually a good dad? Yeah. How, what does the child think? Mm. The other thing is also all just how how children, um, like children, always talking, you know, com- comparing their dads. You know, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad makes more <laughs> money than your dad. Yeah. Well, now maybe the next thing on this on the school ground is you know my dad has more followers than your dad. Oh uh, yeah. And what if they take that as a you know, um, a, a quantification of somehow as a quantification of their father's love. Mm, definitely. I think, yeah. No, that is, yeah. I think that could be a worrying way of seeing it. Definitely. I think, I just think even looking outside of this subject, I think dads themselves need to just. I think there needs to be a change of mentality. Um, you know, dads can look after children. Definitely. I think. You know, I think I looked at, I look into like, there's some of these adverts which I think are quite sexist to, towards men saying, like, oh, a dad can't clean this up in the house, but then, oh, here comes the women, they can clear it up, which actually is both sexist in both ways because it's just assuming that women are. So this the, is reinforcing both you know, gender roles. It's gender roles, you know, and that I think is ridiculous, you know, and that's, I think the good thing is, I think at least now we are realizing this and we are trying to change the perceptions of masculinity. So, for example, like, for men, you know, you don't have to toughen up. You can just release your feelings, which I think is good. Mm. Um, the fact that we are realizing these issues like suicide now a lot because men are more likely to commit suicide than women now. It's I think it's good that we are having these conversations about changing the way masculinity. I think even if it's with dad influences or outside of this story, I think it's a good that we're having these conversations. So, no, it's very good. So, yeah, what's your kind of weak signal that you found? Uh, mine is on a new method of creating graphene. Okay, nice. I don't know if you're familiar with graphene. No, I do politics, man. <laughs> so graphene is, I mean, I'm going to do politics too. Oh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I just don't, graphene <laughs> I just don't look was, into this. Um, yeah, so graphene is this quote-unquote wonder material um, that was about isolated some 15 years ago. It's just really, really hard to make. It's this particular arrangement of carbon and kind of like a like a hexagonal grid, like a honeycomb grid Okay. Um, that can be like a single atom thick. But it's like it's amongst like the more the strongest, most it's like the strongest, most fle- uh, flexible, most uh, highly conductive materials we've ever created. Mm. It's just super super hard to make. Yeah, of course. Until now, nice. so scientists at Rice University have developed a means of producing graphene um, by basically exposing any source of carbon for to and heating it to 3000 kelvin for about 10 milliseconds mm. it just it's called flash graphene and it just and a flash and all the carbon just uh, basically the heat destroys all the carbon all the carbon bonds and they rearrange themselves into a graphene pattern all other elements get sublimated so they get turned straight into um into um a gaseous form yep 
and any excess energy is released as heat is released as light hmm. <clears throat> so the inter- so one it's it produces flakes of graphene in a much more um, efficient way like graphene i think right now is like a ton of graphene sells for like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars like it's expensive that stuff expensive yeah. um now you can make flakes of it from just about any source of carbon mm. such as garbage mm-hmm. plastic coal Ooh. so perhaps this could be a means of allowing for a coal industry that doesn't have to be burned for fossil fuels yeah you can just turn it into graphene yeah that graphene can be um the graphene mm. is a ton of like uses if you can if you get in large enough quantities you can make you can be used for like bendable displays um yeah. you can add flakes of graphene into concrete and that would like add, increase its strength by 40 percent mm. um it's so it's a pretty useful material to have and the way of i'm guessing the way you, and this is pretty it seems pretty environmentally or is it how well, it just depends on how you get depends how you drive, on how you, how you get the heat yeah like is the, the energy created like are you burning coal to do that or is it from mm. you know uh, hydroelectric dam yeah that's the thing so it's the way of like producing it it's still so i'm guessing okay so it's good that we are using we're thinking about using graphite but graphene like, graphene sorry my bad graphene um it's just yeah it's just how we how we're going to produce it i think is the next step well again much. that just really depends like it just depends on where you are like if you did this mm. in bc okay cool like most of can well, like pretty much anywhere in canada besides like the maritimes and like the north can like make this environmentally sustainable way yeah because like if we did here yeah we're burning coal to do it but if you do it in like quebec or bc well it's all hydropower mm, or ontario it's nuclear you know we have we have the means to do it we have the means to do it in a in a and an environmentally f- and this is and this method is a lot more sustainable than the other than like previous methods oh yeah it sounds graphene. much much more, more efficient definitely and, then we, and it's a way we can also just like deal with our garbage like you can take and mm. garbage doesn't have like you can take the plastic that's in the ocean and just flash it into graphene yeah. and turn it into a material that's a lot it's, it's a much more efficient means of um recycling like yeah. we can take these things that we don't want and don't need and put her into a more useful a more useful format yeah i actually know speaking about like um recycling and garbage and stuff i actually read somewhere so i think it was colorado is thinking and this is kind of relating to last week's episode with like deaf wives so they're thinking of making sort of like composting dead bodies which is interesting to see in colorado to make it more green and then the compost can be used for like various other things which is interesting but again it's like would humans want to get composted maybe maybe not i don't know could do. I think it would be that quite interesting. I wouldn't be surprised. I'm pretty sure there's lots of people who would... Yeah, would no, true. That. I think they wouldn't mind that. I mean, what is... What's the difference between being composted and being, you know, buried in a coffin? You know, the one difference is you're, you know, you're, you're allowed to decompose yeah. in the dirt. The other one's like you are get this really expensive piece of wood to decompose in. Like... You're decomposing that one way or yeah, another. It's just like, it. do you want to decompose in a box or like <laughs> some worms? Make, make up your yeah, mind. Yeah, that's true. I think the other option sounds good. But yeah, no, that's that's great. No, no that sounds a really interesting uh, week signal. And uh, yeah, that's great. So yeah, thanks again for coming in. I think it's been a good conversation about welfare. And uh, yeah, hope everyone's enjoyed that episode. If you want to check out more episodes, you can check out us on Spotify. Just type in Future Friday and then Hamish Hallett or even on Anchor in the same way. So yeah, hope everyone has an amazing day and you're listening to CHMA 106.9 FM here in Sackville, New Brunswick.